0: Good morning, Chair City Church. How are you doing today? Love your enthusiasm. It's a big deal. Glad you joined us. We are in week three of our current teaching series the last week of our of this series called real mature we're talking in this series about building a relationship with God meaning what does it mean to be spiritually mature real mature we talked about we're doing this because we're going into the summer we want to stay consistent with our relationship with God we want to come out in September not kind of dragged and beat up knocked around you know we went backwards instead of forwards we want to continue the strength and grow and go forward in this summer now the kind of the basics of spiritual maturity, is a, is a true, sincere relation with God, our Father in Heaven, our Creator, the One who truly loves us and has restored us through Jesus Christ and His work on the cross. Now, last week, you know, what we want well, to add to that description this week uh, is kind of the next step in spiritual maturity, uh, to add to that basic description, is uh, you want to think that you are joining and becoming spiritually mature, you're joining God in a bigger story. And that's what this is about, you know? Now, we're going to come at it from a different angle than you might have thought, but that's what you're doing. You're joining, that's what this thing called faith is, we're joining God in a bigger story. In other words, God's got this view of life that's greater than ours. God's perspective is so much deeper and wider than our perspective. And he's inviting us to join this great story of his. Yesterday or yesterday, Friday, Thursday, three days, 32 guys, myself and 32 other guys or 31 other guys, we went up to Waterville Valley, New Hampshire, and we were part of this Warrior Conference. So the shirt every year, we get a shirt. It was just a phenomenal time. You know, that conference, 1,200 men came together. Isn't that amazing? I mean, 1,200 men, that's crazy. Here in New England, here in the Northeast. Three years ago, there was 800. Last year, 1,000. This year, 1,200 men. You know what? The pastor who started that 20 years ago, this was their 20th conference, he had 15 guys. Church wasn't doing well, struggling with money. God put it on his heart to do this. He obeyed God, strapped, you know, took everything they had and went ahead and did this, huh? And obedience. And look what God has done through an act of obedience, of trusting God. Now, and that's because he saw it through God's perspective. He, he saw the bigger story. Now the thing about this is when we're real mature, we, you know, if we're not real mature, then the day-to-day grind can kind of consume us. And so what happens is our perspective of life can get really chiseled away. It can kind of get very narrow, you know, and, and, if I, and limited. And sort of the older we get, the the more that pertains, you know, builds, challenges life, this, that, and, and it just starts to narrow and narrow and narrow. But that's not what we want. We want to have a great perspective. We want to believe that we're part of something great in ourselves, that our story is yet to be written. Now, in the first two weeks, we said there are three markers of spiritual maturity. First week, we talked about spiritual intimacy. Last week, we talked about biblical knowledge. That was great. And today, I want to talk to you about holy obedience. Now, in our culture, those are two dirty words, holy and obedience, right? I'm being sarcastic. Listen, the three work together. They are interwoven. They are interdependent one of, of one another. If you don't have any one, you're gonna have kind of a a deficiency in your spiritual growth. Now, we're breaking them out for the purpose of teaching as clearly as possible. And we're gonna jump into a New Testament story uh, about a guy named Philip. And I think when we look at Philip's life here, as as given to us in the book of Acts, we see this kind of a practical way of living out holy obedience. We're going to go to chapter 6 of Acts, and we'll go to chapter 8. And at this time in Scripture, Jesus has died. He's been crucified. He's been risen from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of his Father in heaven, and now the Holy Spirit The one who Jesus sent is dwelling amongst God's people. The church is growing. Lives are being changed. And the good news about Jesus is spreading. And then this thing comes up where in the church, in the beginning of the church, you have people who are Greek, people who are Jewish, and they're kind of debating over who's going to take care of the widows, the women whose husbands have died, or how is food going to be provided to them and distributed to them. And they go to the apostles to settle it, you know, Peter and and John, and they're like, you know, they turn their back to them and say, listen, you deal with it. Here's what we want you to do. Search amongst you for seven persons, seven men who you know to be of good reputation and filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they say good reputation right there, that word means someone who is set apart, someone who's living out their life mimicking God, someone who obeys God. And so that person is Philip. Philip is one of the seven that's chosen. And the next time we read about Philip is in Acts chapter 8, verse 26. And it says, As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. What's happening here? God is sending Philip. God told Philip to go. Philip was sent. He went. Philip was going about his business. It's any day, this day, that day, had a plan, had a schedule. God said, go, and he went. Verse 27 says, so he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, And he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go, go over and walk along beside the carriage. And again, God now is sending Philip. Philip hears this man reading the book of Isaiah from the Old Testament. And, and he's t- what he's reading out here is it's a prophecy, meaning it's not a prediction from God, it's a promise from God, and it's regarding Jesus, his son, who he's going to send to this world to redeem us, to rescue us. Verse 32 says the passage of Scripture he had been reading was this, and it's talking about Jesus, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the, sh- before the shearers, He did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. So Philip says to the Ethiopian man, do you know what you're reading? I mean, you know, do do, do you have any idea what you're reading? The eunuch asks Philip, tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? So beginning with this same scripture, Philip Told him the good news about Jesus. And as they rode along, they came to some water, and a eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. How glorious is that. June 24th here, our next baptism at Share City Church. It's a celebratory, wonderful time. If you have not been baptized, follow the scripture and be water baptized. Sign sign up at the guest services table. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. The man goes on his way rejoicing because of Philip's obedience, his life was transformed and changed. He said yes to God. And yet, here's what I want you to see. Philip had no idea that what he was doing was part of a bigger story. You see, in the Old Testament, up until after Christ was born crucified and risen from the dead and the new covenant came, only Jews were privileged to salvation. Ethiopians, of course, were not Jews. Yet, God did say in the Old Testament, he prophesied, meaning a promise, not a prediction. In Psalm 68, verse 31, he said that that day would come when others would come into the kingdom, and even the Ethiopians. Psalm sixty-eight thirty-one says, "'Let Egypt come with gifts of precious metals. Let Ethiopia bring tribute to God.'" Do you see? God was sending Philip to work through Philip to fulfill something he had promised years ago. And all, Philip's know, all Philip knows is, I'm just doing a little bit of step of obedience here. I'm not doing anything significant. It's a small thing, a small act of obedience, and little does he know that his holy obedience is part of a greater story. You see, when, we are, when, you're, when you're being obedient, you're either walking towards something or you're going to walk away for something. You're pressing on or you're casting aside, but you're being obedient to God, and you need to know that there's nothing insignificant about it. That through your obedience, you are now entering into a greater and a bigger story that God has for you, because by your act of obedience, it's a holy act, it's an act of worship, and you are trusting in God, you're giving of yourself to God, and who knows what he's going to do with that act of obedience, and this is spiritual maturity. So much of our relationship with God, for many of us, lives and dies on this one right here, obedience to God. Stepping out. So at this warrior conference, which was a phenomenal time, I come in on the last session. So it's Saturday morning. Uh, I'm coming in, and I walk over to where the guys are sitting. My, my boys are there already. And I walk up, and I sense right away something's wrong. And I look, and I see my younger son, 16. He, he's sitting in a chair. His head is down between his knees, and he's sobbing. His, his, his head is in his hands, down between his knees, and he is sobbing. I mean, like, just weeping. So, you know, I look up, and, and I've gotten a little bit older and, and more, I would you call, experienced and seasoned as a dad, because there is his older brother sitting there looking my way. Now, years ago, I would have said, so what did you do? What the heck, you know? But I've made that mistake far too many times, so I just looked at him. I was thinking it, but I didn't say it. And he just looked at me like, hey, you know? And you see, uh, the younger boy, Jason, he, he's, going, uh, he's going for ear surgery on Tuesday, major surgery in Mass Iron Ear. Uh, he's been having problems with his ears. And the day before, they were playing in the pool water basketball. And uh, while he was doing that, he wound up getting water in his ear. Uh, they were playing with some of the guys uh, and younger guys from the church. And also, there was a, another young man, probably mid 20s, that was there, and he joined them. And when Jason got the water in his ear and, it, and it's, he noticed it was affecting him, he had to get out. Uh, Justin kind of explained to the, 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 uh, the guy from near the church what was going on and Jason's operation and what was coming. And so what happened was the guy turned around, and this was Saturday now when they're playing the water basketball. Well, Sunday morning comes and the guy walks into this ice hockey arena that's what they do. You're literally, the 1,200 guys where the ice used to be, that's where our seats are, 1,200 guys, and he walks in there looking for Jason because when he got up that morning, God had put it on his heart to go and find him and pray for him. He actually said, he explained that he kind of felt that prompting uh, by God, Holy Spirit, you know, like that day, and he somehow he didn't catch it. He's like, wow, well, how come I didn't pray for him? And, and I thought, but, I, but he, he now... He was going to be obedient. And he came and he found Jason. <laughs> and he came up to him and he said, Can I pray for you? Now, here's the problem Jason later on that day began to experience pain. And, and as the night came on, he was experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of what he calls discomfort in his ear, meaning he can't get the water out. It's lodged in and it swells up in his middle ear. And he didn't sleep well at all. He was in pain throughout the night. And now he comes up in the morning and the pain's still there and his the discomfort is very strong. And he's sitting there now just trying to, wanting to make it through the session. And this young man in his 20s walks up to him and says, hey, how are you? Good to see you again. Is it okay if I pray for you in your ear? And what's going on? And Jason said, sure. He prays with Jason. And he stops. He says, you know, can I pray a bit more? And he prays again. And he leaves. And Jason at that point, he says, dad, Within seconds, I sensed that there was no more pain. He goes, Dad, all my pain was gone, like that. He said, Dad, all my discomfort, it was just gone. Now, Jason's very reserved, you know, he's not Justin, he's not Dad, okay? Jason's very reserved, he's very measured, he's an an engineer, it's gotta be exact, it's gotta be perfect, it's gotta be right, you know? Definitely not Dad, right? And he said, "Dad, it, it just was gone." But here's the point: as he, he, he's sobbing, as he's telling me this, tears are pouring down his face. And he says, "Dad, I didn't deserve this. It's like my head has been filled with stuff, and and I just—it's like I—I I, I know I'm so sinful, and the way I'm having some doubts about God, and and, and 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 I didn't deserve this, Dad. I don't deserve this, and I'm just—I'm just." I'm just I know God loves me so much, and I know He's such a great God, and I know He's here with me, and I just—I'm just overwhelmed, and he's sobbing from joy. He's sobbing from being overwhelmed with a thankfulness to God. Isn't that a beautiful thing, you know? And it's funny, (laughs) as I'm sitting there as a dad, and for 20 minutes this went on of him crying and sobbing, and all I did was hold him, put my arm around him, hold him, embrace him. And at one point I just said, I thought this is a good thing that's happening. And I just said, you know what, Jason? God in his mercy at times reveals himself to us in a way where we, have, where we sense a new story is being created for us, where we have this new narrative because we see God in such a wonderful way, the way he intended us to, and we go from there. And perhaps, Jay, this is a moment for you. And you know what? I believe with all my heart, that's what it's going to be for my son, Jason. And, and why? Because someone was obedient, right? Because they stepped out, because they went, and, and you know, he has no idea to the extent of what he did, right? And, and I believe that that is going to continually be written, and five years from now, Jason will be doing something incredible for God, he'll be raised up, and then he'll tack back to that moment that you just can't teach that, man, you can't, right? <laughs> it, it's just such an incredible, powerful experience that so nobody can take that from him. And all because someone stepping out, and being obedient, and trusting God, and giving of themselves, never realizing how significant what they were doing. And that's what God does to us when we're obedient. You more comes out of your obedience to God than you could ever imagine. That Ethiopian came to Jesus, right? Scripture tells us. You know, one of the founding fathers of the church, meaning in the early, like, second, third century, a guy named Irenaeus, says that that Ethiopian, they track it historically, he went back to Ethiopia and he helped share the gospel to that country. Well, it took about 300 years, but 300 years later, the king of Ethiopia becomes a Christian, and he declares Christianity to be the religion of Ethiopia. Today, there are 45 million Christians in Ethiopia, right? To God be the glory. Because why? Because Philip was obedient. Your obedience is never insignificant, and your writing Story, and you're part of a greater story every time you do it. Listen, spiritual maturity is joining God in the bigger story, something greater than what you can think of. And we all have that desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. Even people can't put the word God to it. We have this sense and desire to know and be part of something transcendent from ourselves. No other, of all God's creation, of all creatures in the universe, we only have that. It's because we're children of God and we were made to be a part of something bigger and greater. Our perspective should be deep and wide, filled with possibilities, not limited, constrained. Keep in mind two things when we talk about holy obedience. One, God's power is bigger. Live free from sin. That's another dirty word. Two, God's purpose is bigger, live live free to send. Philip could hang out with us for a bit. He'd say, You gotta know this. If you're going to be used in a great way by God, you cannot live comfortable in disobedience. Before God used Philip mightily, Philip was living in a way where he was distancing himself from sin. We see this in Acts 6. Why am I telling you this? Because I want you to live in this way. I want you to believe today that God is calling you to something greater, man. That whatever it is that where you are holding on to sin, it's holding you down. It's tripping you up. It's weighing you down. It's keeping you from something greater. When we, when we were at the conference, I think it was the first night, Dino Rizzo. And I didn't say this the, I didn't say this the first one. i say it now. The guy who was speaking, it just was an incredible concept. It was so much humility, so much tenderness, so much power. The guy speaking with him, there were two main speakers. One of them, Dino Rizzo, you know, he passed a church, 10,000 people, and he went into an inappropriate relationship. He fell, he sinned, then came apart on him. So, man, this guy's talking like, hey, you know, he didn't bring that up, but he was talking about, you know, sin and how it creeps up on you and how you drift into it. And he said this he said, listen, man, t- listen to me. We all surrender to something. It's just so true. We all surrender to something or to someone. You do. <laughs> Whatever it is, you know, your, your job, your occupation, your relationship, you're going to surrender your heart and mind to something. What if that something when that someone was Jesus? Really. What if it was Jesus? What if you surrendered and you were obedient with all your heart, soul, and mind to Jesus? and you follow the steps of hundreds of millions of people that have come before you, many who have changed this world, all who are part of a bigger story. Marriage is healed, healed, grown, intimacy restored, closeness, a bigger story. Addictions overcome. Nothing has healed and taken people from being addicted to having freedom, than faith in Christ. Nothing. And it comes down to that obedience. You see, Philip was just a person like you and I, and yet he's considered godly. Why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says, so you, Also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Alive in Christ. See, you are more in Christ, not less in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than ready today to be obedient, to have holy obedience to God, to have spiritual maturity. To have spiritual intimacy, to have biblical knowledge, intimacy, to, to know God and to be known, so that you can turn around to others around you and be known, be known and know them. And that's intimacy and that's healthy relationships. We pound that away here because we want healthy relationships. This is the amazing work of God, which He can do because He's created you. The amazing work is that Jesus gave his life on the cross, that your debt would be paid so that when God is looking down, he don't see you as you are. He sees you for what you can be, right? When he looks down, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ covering you. That's what's going on. You're righteous. You've been made right. You're in a great position now to be part of a bigger story. Why live in condemnation? Why live in darkness? Why live hampered? Come on, what has ever ever gotten you but something temporary but not lasting? Jesus, what he did on the cross, faith in him releases us from the chains of sin and death. We are not in bondage anymore. You see, sin wraps you up, but Jesus cast off those chains. And when you agree with God with the work that Jesus did on the cross, you know that Jesus is sufficient. Jesus plus nothing is everything. Those chains are gone. You see, there's a difference between a man-made religion. Religion is not good. Religion is destructive. Religion is oppressive. Religion exploits people. But there's a difference between religion and a relationship with God and a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You see, when man-made religion knows that, okay, there are chains, and I'm wrapped in chains, and they might even know that it's sin and it's destructive, so they try and break free from their own disciplines, from their own willpower, from their own self-help, and in different ways. But that doesn't give you freedom. You might have legalism. You might have a sense of, you might wind up being self-righteous. Look what I did, how come you can't do it? We don't believe that here. This is not a museum, it is what? Emergency. It's an emergency room. We fall, we fall forward. We wrap arms around each other. We care for one another. We are not self-righteous. We, don't, we desire not to be self-righteous. You see what's different with the relationship with God? Through Jesus, you not only have forgiveness, but you have freedom, freedom and forgiveness. Man, that's awesome. You've been freed from your chains of sin. You're not bound, you don't don't have to sin. Just imagine, you do not have to sin, you don't. You don't have to pick those chains and put them back up on you, you don't. You can be free from them. And that means the power of God is in you and you're living from freedom and you're living from forgiveness. Look, when I came to God, I I had that sense of desire of a need to be forgiven, of a need to have a clean slate. 28 years old. And when I did, I really began to sense freedom now—freedom from a really like uh, anxious, restless mind. Freedom from massive insecurity. I was really wrapped up, man, and I began to be just free from all of that. And the possibilities of life now—I was filled with hope, not trying to figure everything out and control it, and trying to, you know, what's gonna? How am I gonna make it through? We do that. I'm not controlling anymore, man. I got—I'm got, part of something bigger, man. The future looks great. There's so much hope. Well, what's gonna? I don't know. It's is good man yes. Now listen you know you got you want to stay out look uh, you you want to stay away from those places and those things and even people not being looking down on being condescending but you want to protect what God is doing in you you want to stay out of those places that you think you could disrupt you we going to we go on to war, we're at the Warrior Conference and look, it's a cool place. There's like 1,200 guys, restaurants, and there's a couple of bars. And we're in a Mexican restaurant actually. We're not a bar. It's a Mexican restaurant, but there's a bar in there. And John Thompson goes to the bar, and it's a Warrior Conference, man. I mean, like we're like you know we're dudes and we're sweating it out and we're not changing our shirts. And we're having a blast and we're playing dodgeball at like midnight. You yeah, got dodgeballs. I'm not kidding. It's crazy. And John Thompson, in this atmosphere, goes up to the bar, and he orders a white Russian. He gets a sissy drink, man. I just, I want to tell you that. I want to tell you that, that since John Thompson decided to get a drink, he, I just want to let you know he got us. we call him Natasha. If you see John Thompson, tell him, hi, Natasha. Okay? Okay. That's really not applicable, but I just thought I'd let you know that. Now, look. You, you do, you, you want to stay away from that t- temptation. Just stay away from it, man. Now look, I'm not saying I've never sinned since i come to Jesus 23 years. I probably have sinned at least two times in 23 years, right? <laughs> I think I sinned two times at the warrior conference, actually. I think you just did again. I did. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> look, man, look, I could go and pick up those chains, but I don't want to, right? God wants me to live apart from sinning. I want to choose not to sin because I want to be a part of something greater. And if I'm going to live from sin and disobedience, that's a small world. That's a small perspective. It's going to get me through the week. If I hit jackpot, it gets me through a few months. First John chapter two, verses one through two says, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, that's Jesus, who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. Our hope is in the Word of Jesus Christ. Our holy obedience is found in that when God calls something sin, it's sin. You got to get that one. We have this kind of ambiguous, ambiguous way of looking at what is sin. And when God calls something sin, it's just sin. That's not condemnation. That's not beating people down. It's just clarity. Isn't clarity a good thing, right? You know, I like clarity. Especially living 28 years without clarity. You know, a foggy mind can really screw you up. It's good to know that when God calls something sin, I know it's sin. Lot less pain in our lives You press on to walk in obedience to God, and when you do that, this is evidence of your love of God. This is one of the ways I love God, by obeying him. It keeps me closer to him. John chapter 14, verse 23 through 24, Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make a home with each of them. That's pretty relational, right? Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. Obedience to God is freedom, and disobedience is bondage. Always has been, always will. Now look, some of us, we have shed and kicked off a lot of sins, right? I mean, uh, but we kind of hang on to like, kind of we're a little affectionate to one or two of them. We let them hang around. But stop doing that. Choose freedom today. Rid yourself of those things that would bring you to be disobedient to God. Confess those sins to God gladly, triumphantly, and get them out of your life. Listen, obedience is more than just (laughs) being free from sin, it's being sent. You see, when you're free from sin, you are now more inclined to be sent. And let me, meaning you're going to be more, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe what happened to my son is so real. There's no doubt in my mind. I've seen God do incredible things, God the Holy Spirit. And I believe I will continually, this place is a miracle. Many of you are miracles. Listen. When you become, look, we're sinners, but we can be free from choosing to sin and acting out that which is in our nature. And when you're doing that and the clarity comes now, you are more sensitive to God, Holy Spirit. My son attached everything that was going on to God. He was actually, even though he was struggling, he was sensitive to the Holy Spirit, right? You're more sensitive to God's leading, to God's prompting. Okay, so that young man, 24 years old, 25 years old, God puts... Come on, it's 1,200 people. We're having a blast. The music is like, man, you think we're loud? Whoa. 115, it's loud. And in the midst of all that, at 24 years old, he is sensitive to God leading him to go and seek out my boy to pray for him. Come on now. He was sent. He obeyed God. He was not going to wake up that morning and start his day off with bad thoughts, sinful thoughts, sinful... No, 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 no. He was going to obey God, and he was going to be free from sin, and he was going to be sent by God to do something that he had no idea how powerful and how moving and that it would be, and that he'd be writing a greater story. Do you hear me, people of God? Huh? Today, there are 45 million Christians in Ethiopia, and tens and hundreds of millions have come there and lived there. Faith in Christ because of what Philip did. God is ascending God. He sent Philip. He sent that young man. He's sending us. Do you hear me today? That as you even now desire to be obedient, you are being sent. We are a church. This came to be because of people who were sent and who obeyed God. Right now, there are people in kids' ministries, the nursery and the preschool and kids' church because they have obeyed God and are being sent to touch lives. And I'm telling you, you touch lives here. Lives are changed here. I see the emails I get and the texts I get from people of what's going on in their lives, especially they come in here the first few weeks. How they were touched, how they were moved, how they sense something is real, how, how just something's going on with them, how, how they connected to something more meaningful that was in them that they hadn't sensed in a long time. This is what God is doing, and it's because people are being sent by God to change lives here in the parking lot and first impression, I just encourage you to be obedient and jump in, because you never know what God is doing, but you do know it's not going to be insignificant. It's not. You do know that you're writing a greater story, and you do know that you're being obedient out of your love of God. Listen to how this works. Man, I got a good one for you. You ready? I just got to piece it together. 1150. Check this out. This is incredible. All right. Well, first I want to tell you how am I going uh, to—I'll tie it together. So. Uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, no, not three weeks ago, Chris and I meet with uh, some people from the church here, and it's about having a special needs ministry. It, it's just, you know, it came to our attention a couple of months ago uh, when we were faced with a difficulty with a young boy who had special needs. It was on a spectrum, I think, of autism in that case. And we realized we just really weren't equipped to, to really to serve the family. And, and that it's not, un, it's not uncommon, meaning t- having children on the spectrum and autism is not uncommon anymore, and nor are there the difficulty of churches struggling to meet this need. And so we we're meeting with the couple to see, hey, how could we intentionally, right, because <laughs> it's not your, you know, you know, you know, deal with this going forward. Maybe we can create something here at Cheer City Church. And, 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 and uh, I think it was uh, one of the persons, said, well, you know what, Lakewood Church, you know, Joel Osteen Church has a special needs ministry. I said, yeah, well, that, they have 50,000 people. And, and I think I do want us to connect to other churches, but like, I mean, we're not gonna really. It's best if you talk to somebody personally. I always do that. Before I do something that's important, I wanna go out and talk to somebody who's done it. Tell me how you failed, tell me how you succeeded. And, and, and then let them know who you are, your demographic, your logistics, your heart, your vision, and it can come together much better, right? more success less pain so so we got to find churches maybe in new england or out there somewhere that are doing this all right so warrior conference at the end of the conference it's really touching what they do is they take these 1200 men and picture the ice hockey rink and the guys line up around the boards all around the rink 1200 guys and they take 33 pastors me being one of them and they tell you to go in the middle and you're standing in there 33 men and these guys are crying out to you, they're shouting to you, they're praying for you, they're thanking God for you. It's an incredible moving moment for a pastor. And you're in that circle with these guys, and and, and you're just looking at each other. Some of them are crying. Who's struggling? Who's getting knocked around? Whose wife died? Uh, Who who we're looking? Who knows who was standing there last year that fell and he he got beat up? He fell. He just lost his bearings, man. It's, It's a powerful moment. And I'm standing there, and I'm taking it all in, and I look across at the guest speaker, you know. There were two guest speakers. I look across to one of them, Craig now, and right next to him, I see, I see Chris, Chris Hodgman. Chris goes here, to, he's about four foot one, he goes here to Chair City Church. I'm like, I'm like, what the heck is Chris? First of all, Chris isn't a pastor. Chris works at a parking ministry here at Cherry City Church. He said, awesome, don't get me wrong. I'm like, so what, what is Chris doing next to Craig? You know, the guest speaker. Well, come to find out, that in the first, and here you, here's Chris in the midst of all these 33 pastors. Come to find out in the first session, or second session when Craig spoke, he talked about his son, who's I think 14 and who has autism. And he said, you know what? I know that that boy is going to do great things. That he's going to do awesome things. God is, I'm not, I'm not saying that, I'm sincere. God is going to do great things for that boy. So you know what Chris does? And Chris is really, is not well off financially. Actually, someone paid, I think I just said it, someone paid his way to get to the conference. Someone was obedient, was moved of God and paid his way to get to the conference. You know what? I got three kids, man. Me, that's a $500 trip. Somebody paid my son Jason's way to get to the conference. Come on now. And little did I know that obedience, what would come from it, right? I don't even know who it is, but I got to tell you, they stored up some incredible treasures in heaven on that one, huh? So Chris hears about the guy's son, Craig's son with autism, and he goes and he buys a shirt, and he goes and he asks he asks the, the uh, director of the conference there, the co- the main um, coordinator, if he could get Craig. And I see from the distance, he's talking, I'm like, oh, I wonder what he's doing. I'm like, oh no. You know, they get Craig and he gives Craig the shirt for his son and he says, and here's five dollars to put towards that great thing he's gonna do. I, I, I think you're right, I think he's gonna do it. The guy is so moved, he's so touched. That night, Chris is hanging out in a Mexican restaurant while John is getting his, you know, Russian thing over there. <laughs> and, and, and he's with Matt because, and I guess somehow Matt had gotten Craig's numbers for the sake of communicating and Craig, this guy Craig, who, by the way, I didn't tell you, he's a pastor. He's an executive pastor at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas. He's Joel Osteen's executive pastor. 50. He's texting Matt to tell Chris to come and have breakfast with him tomorrow morning. <laughs> and so he has breakfast. Chris and Joel Osteen's <laughs> executive pastor are having breakfast. And it's a good laugh, man. And then... He takes him to sit up in the front row with the, you know, with the other speakers, <laughs> and then he takes him into the center there, right? Hey, Laker Church has this special needs ministry, maybe the largest in the country, one of the largest in the world. It's called Champions. At the end of the conference, I woke up to Craig. I said, listen, it was really precious, you know, how you... Drew to Chris and how he said, he said, it was all, he was honest, it was all my blessing. He said, ah, I, I was just, I was so moved by his, what he did. What he did was, what Chris did was obedience, right? Of Course probably insignificant, right? Whoa! Watch this. And I said to him, I said, look, you know, I'm just, gonna, if it's okay, I'm just going to kind of jump on the tail of that a bit. A little open door, if you don't mind. I said, you know, we're thinking of doing, I said, not just thinking, we actually made some intentional steps to have a special needs ministry. He said, here's my email. He says, contact me. Here's my personal email address. I'd love to talk to you about it. To God be the glory, right? So come on now. That's your story. That's what obedience, that's what holy obedience does. That's real godly maturity, huh? People will come to know Christ through your obedience. You'll be healed through your obedience. Your marriages will be increased through your obedience to God. God is writing a bigger story for you. God is writing a bigger story for our church. Great things are coming. God is stirring things. Let us glorify God with our holy obedience. Father, we thank you for this day, for this morning, O God. You are such a merciful God. You are such a faithful God that you meet us here this morning. You stir our hearts, oh God. You draw us closer to you, oh God. We push past any condemnation, any regret, oh God. We, we just don't let it distract us right now, God. We look to you, oh God, and we feel the strength and the empowerment to press on and to be obedient in Jesus' name, because what Jesus did, and we know that our Father in heaven, he's not mad at us. He's mad about us, right? He's mad about us. He loves us. And he meets us right now where we are. And he draws us closer to him. And we are so filled with courage to obey our God. And for the one who came here this morning, who did not know Jesus Christ personally, who did not have a relation with God, today is your moment. To be obedient to God, to have a massive dose of holy obedience, to just cry out to God, to know He's inclining, to He's reaching down to you, and He's touching His creation. And that as you confess your sins wholly and entirely, knowing that your sins are being forgiven and you are being declared righteous and seen that way, and you are in the best position you've ever been in your life to go forward, to move forward, to grow, to build, to gain to see life in a grand way, that your perspectives are deep and wide because you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I need you, God. I love you, God. And I'm so glad you're with me, God. And I'm going to follow Jesus. Amen.